Over the centuries, the land of England had changed dramatically. The arrival of the Great Heathen Army in the year 865 would transform the culture and way of life in the British Isles, especially in the north of England. For over a century, the Vikings would raid in England, having heard tales of the legendary sons of Ragnar and how they became kings in foreign lands. After the death of the Ragnarsons, the Danelaw had been established. It was a land north of Wessex, where the Norsemen could worship their pagan gods in peace. Alfred the Great had laid the blueprint for his descendants to become the kings of all England, and his grandson Ethelstan would unite the land in the year 927. Nearly a century later, in the year 1002, Ethelred the Unready was now the king of the English, and the Norse influence of the Danelaw was still as strong as ever. In addition, just like in the times of Alfred, the Viking raids on England were still numerous. The current king of England, King Ethelred, would do something no other king of the English had ever done before. Due to a perceived threat on his life, he would order a mass killing of all Danes in England. This would take place on the 13th of November in the year 1002. His armoured knights would leave his hall and would round up soldiers. They then rode into the heart of the Danelaw and began slaughtering men, women and innocent children in the name of their king. The bloodshed caused was devastating. Many innocent settlers and farmers were slain for the sins of their ancestors and fellow Norsemen. A royal charter reflects the events that transpired. In the words of King Ethelred, this is what he told his men. All Danes who have sprung up on this island are to be destroyed by a most just extermination. This evil act would haunt King Ethelred, as word would spread to Scandinavia, and the Norsemen would become infuriated with the massacre of their kinsmen. Swain Forkbeard, the King of Denmark, had heard that his sister Gunhild and her husband Palig were slain during the massacre. Swain was a very capable king, and was restless. He started his reign with violence when he revolted against his own father Harold Bluetooth. Before he thought to retaliate against King Ethelred, he first negotiated an agreement with Duke Richard II of Normandy, whereby the Danes gained permission to sell all of their spoils of war in Normandy. Swain would then raise an army. Like the Vikings of old, he would sail towards England, with his goal being conquest. King Ethelred's lands would burn, and a devastating war would change England forever. This is the story of the first Viking kings of England, and how the royal line of Alfred the Great was pushed aside. This is the story of the Viking conquest of England. The year is 1003, and Swain would swear revenge on England. He would invade on an unprecedented scale. His forces would pillage and plunder the land without mercy. Swain knew the land well, as he had raided in England just a decade before, in the year 994. According to the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, Swain himself led a failed raid on England. The account of Swain's attack on London is as follows. This year came Olaf Tryggvason and Swain to London, with 94 ships, 
they besieged the city and would have it set on fire. But they sustained more harm and evil than they ever supposed that any citizens could inflict on them. The Holy Mother of God on that day, in her mercy, considered the citizens and riddles them of their enemies. Although the Vikings failed to take London, they did not return home and they went on to terrorise the rest of England. Thence they advances and wrought the greatest evil that an army would ever do in burning, plundering and manslaughter, not only in Essex but in Kent and in Sussex and in Hampshire, they committed unspeakable evil. Ethelred, now known to history as the Unready, which in Old English means ill-advised, would instead of raising an army, choose to pay off the Viking invaders. In exchange, Olaf converted to Christianity and promised never to attack the English shores again, but Swain would make no such promise. He would return to the English shores after the St. Brice's Day Massacre, and according to the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, in the year 1004, this is what transpired. Swain arrived with his fleet to Norwich, and entirely spoiled and burnt the town. Ulcitel, the elderman of East Anglia, attempted to buy a truce with King Swain. Once a peace was established, Swain swiftly broke the accord and marched to Thetford, where part of the East Anglian feud engaged his army. The battle was hard fought, and seems to have ended with the Vikings being pushed back. Chronicle manuscripts state that the Danes admitted that they had never met with harder fighting than with the elderman Ulfsaitel. Swain's forces would suffer heavy losses and were only saved due to his ships not being destroyed. This resulted in Swain leaving England without any further devastation being caused. King Ethelred, the King of the English, had directly caused raids on his own lands, and it became the responsibility of another, the Elderman Ulfsaitel, to fix the errors of a king. However, while Swain was alive, the English shores would never be safe. He would make it his mission to take England, and he would ravage the lands continuously for years. Swain returned to England in the year 1005, but this was a year of great famine throughout the English nation, such that no man ever before recollected one being so grim. Starving and lacking the means for conquest, Swain again returned to Denmark. In the midsummer of the year 1006, a great fleet came to Sandwich. According to the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, they ravaged and burned and destroyed wherever they went. The king ordered out all the population from Wessex and Mercia. Then, about midwinter, Swain marched to Wallingford, which he entirely destroyed. No man would think or discover how he would be driven out of the land, for every shire in Wessex was burning. Then the king began earnestly with his witten to consider what might seem most advisable so the land might be saved before it was utterly destroyed. The king decreed that they must pay tribute to the army of King Swain. This passage in the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle conveys that Swain and his army had brought such devastation to Mercia and Wessex that the king himself had ordered an evacuation of peasants in those lands. 
Ethelred's ancestral home of Wessex was on fire, and he and his ealdormen feared the wrath of the Viking king. In the year 1007, Ethelred would pay Swain a tribute of Danegeld, accumulating to £36,000. This would create a fragile peace, but war was always on Swain's mind, and he would go back to ravaging England when the time was right. The Yom's Vikings were a legendary order of Viking mercenaries, dedicated to the old Norse gods. They would fight for any lord who could pay their substantial fees, even if they were Christian. King Swain Forkbeard had an extensive history with the Yom's Vikings, having been raised by the order's founder, Palnatoke. Swain and Palnatoke had revolted against Harold Bluetooth, the King of Denmark, with Palnatoke slaying Harold with his bow and arrow, allowing Swain to take the throne early. Swain would continue this tradition by having his own son Canute fostered at the Yom's Viking stronghold at Yomsborg by the chieftain Thorkul the Tall. This conveys how respected the Viking mercenary order was, as they fostered two princes who would go on to change the history of England and Scandinavia. According to the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, Thorkel the Tall's army of Yom's Vikings arrived in Sandwich in the year 1009. They were described as a vast hostile army, and they soon made their way to Canterbury. The citizens of the city, however, desired peace, and all of the people of Kent would submit to them, and gave them a Danegeld payment of £3,000. Soon after, the Yom's Vikings made their way to the Isle of Wight, and went on to ravage and plunder Sussex, Hampshire, and Berkshire. King Ethered would then command the whole nation to be called out, so the Yom's Viking army would be crushed by the eldermen of the once powerful kingdoms of England. But the army of pagan mercenaries would march as they pleased. The chronicle states that King Ethered assembled a huge army and was finally ready to attack the Yom's Vikings. However, an all-out battle was prevented by Edric Striona, the Elderman of Mercia. The Chronicle doesn't state how he prevented it, but he must have negotiated a fragile peace with the Yom's Vikings. Thorkel would soon enough march to London, but the city put up a strong resistance. Enraged, the Yom's Vikings set fire to the city of Oxford, and continued raiding at will. The year 1010 was also a bleak year for England, as the Yom's Vikings would land in East Anglia. Thorkel's band of mercenaries inspired so much fear that the eldermen of East Anglia Ulfsaitel fled. However, the men of Cambridgeshire stood firmly against the band of pagan mercenaries, showing no fear. The Anglo-Saxon Chronicle records that in this unnamed battle, the Danes had possession of the place of carnage. Thorkel would lead his mounted warriors against the men of Cambridge and would break their lines. The battle was a shower of blood, and many thanes and nobles were slain, including the king's son-in-law. The Saxons fled, and the Yom's Vikings now had dominion over East Anglia. It is said the land was ravaged and burned. Thorkel would once again look to Kent and Wessex, and would begin scorching the land. 
King Ethelred the Unready would summon his Witten in order to counsel him on how the land might be defended. However, there was no Thane or Elderman that was willing to assemble their army to fight the Yom's Vikings. The Eldermen were also unwilling to assist each other and combine their forces, or come to each other's aid. It seems King Ethelred was king of a divided land, reminiscent of the days before England was united and was several kingdoms. For this reason, the Yom's Vikings could devastate the lands as the English king could not unite his Eldermen to face them. Due to this, Thorkel's pagan army would make their way to Wessex and once again set the land ablaze. In the year 1011, King Ethelred and his Witten would present themselves to the Yom's Viking forces. The King of England desired peace and promised Thorkel tribute and food on the condition that they would cease from plundering. They had overrun the Kingdom of East Anglia, Essex, all of Kent, Sussex, most of the ancient Kingdom of Wessex, and parts of Mercia. The Anglo-Saxon Chronicle states, All these misfortunes befell us through unwise counsel, that they were not in time offered tribute or fought against, but when they had done the most evil, then peace and truce were made with them. And nevertheless, for all the truce and tribute, they went everywhere in bands, and plundered our miserable people, and robbed and slew them. Thorkel once again broke the peace, and continued ravaging the country. On the 8th of September of the year 1011, Thorkel would return to Canterbury, and laid siege to the city for three weeks. The Yom's Vikings were eventually able to take the city, but they took it by treachery. An Englishman named Elfmere gave Thorkel a way to break into the city without breaching the gates, allowing the Yom's Vikings to save many men. Soon enough, Thorkel and the Yom's Vikings occupied the great and rich city of Canterbury. They would take many hostages of importance, such as the Archbishop of Canterbury. This, however, would prove to be a mistake. The Archbishop named Elcher would convert many Yom's Vikings to Christianity during his captivity, creating tension amongst the order. The pagan Yom's Vikings and Thorkel soon would grow sick of the Archbishop and would demand £3,000 of silver for his release. The Archbishop, however, bravely refused to be ransomed and told the people not to pay the order of mercenaries. This would further infuriate the Yom's Vikings. Later, at a great feast, the Yom's Vikings would bask in each other's tales of glory and triumph, and while the warriors got increasingly drunk, their attention would turn to the Archbishop. They began pelting him with the bones of cattle and ham bones. Then an axeman approached him. He smashed the Archbishop on the back of his head with the butt of his axe, killing him. Thorkel was infuriated. Even though the Archbishop had caused problems, he could no longer get a ransom for him, and Thorkel had instructed his warriors not to kill him. Throughout the Yom's Viking occupation of Canterbury, they would raid southern England, using Canterbury as a base of operations. They eventually halted their attacks when they received a series of Danegeld payments, 
accumulating to around £50,000 of silver. Thorkell and his army had already taken East Anglia, much of Wessex, and many other lands in Mercia. They also had a base that was the city of Canterbury to prevent them from being attacked, so Thorkell was in a very good position. But for some reason, Thorkell would halt his attacks on England and would ally himself with King Ethelred the Unready. After taking and scorching much of his kingdom, Thorkell may have negotiated a deal with King Ethelred, allowing him to keep his dominion and lordship over his newly acquired lands. King Ethelred may have also just paid the military order to defend him, once they had already taken half of his kingdom. Nevertheless, the Oms Vikings would now fight for King Ethelred of England in a complete turn of fate. The Oms Viking invasion of England had not gone unnoticed. They had caused such disarray in the land that Swain Forkbeard saw his opportunity to take the Burning Kingdom, and in the year 1013, Swain and his son Canute would sail to England with a large force of warriors, with their aim being to end the line of English kings and take the territory as their own. By the year 1013, Swain and Canute led a full-scale invasion on England. They would sail with hundreds of ships, ready to take the throne and avenge the extermination of Danes ordered by King Ethelred years before. According to the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, this is what unfolded. King Swain came with his fleet to Sandwich, and went then very soon to East Anglia, into the mouth of the Humber, until he arrived at Gainsborough, and then soon Uhtred, the Earl and all the Northumbrians submitted to him, and afterwards, the people in the five boroughs. Hostages were delivered to him from every shire. Afterwards, Swain went southwards with all of his forces, and committed the ships and hostages to his son Canute. He then went to Oxford, and the townsmen soon submitted, and delivered hostages, and thence to Winchester, and they did the same. Swain's army then went eastward, to London. The Londoners would put up a strong resistance, refusing to submit, as King Ethelred resided in the city and the royalists would die for their Saxon king. Thorkell would command the Yom's Vikings to defend the city walls, and it is said that many of Swain's soldiers died by drowning in the Thames River. Thorkell and the Londoners were able to repel Swain and gained the victory. However, it was short-lived. Unable to take the city, Swain went westward to Bath and rested there with his forces. Ethelmar, the Elderman of Devonshire, and the Western Thanes all submitted to Swain and delivered him hostages. The men and the Lords of the North had already bowed to Swain, as had the Lords of the South. He was slowly uniting the country with diplomacy. The Saxon nobility had grown weary of seeing their lands constantly ablaze. Having completely lost all faith in King Ethelred, they deserted him and now followed Swain Forkbeard, the Viking King and Warlord. Hearing the news of how the rest of the country had fallen to Swain, the townsmen of London submitted, now hopeless. 
They also delivered hostages, fearing Swain's wrath, as they had resisted him before. King Ethelred sent his sons Edward and Alfred to Normandy, and then retreated to the Isle of Wight. Thorkel abandoned London to meet Ethelred on the Isle of Wight for one final meeting. After this, Ethelred followed his sons into exile. On Christmas Day, in the year 1013, Swain was declared the King of England, after the Eldermen of England forsook their own king and swore allegiance to the new Viking King of England. However, Swain's reign was short-lived, as only five weeks after his ascent, in February in the year 1014, he would die at the age of 50, at the height of his power. After Swain's very brief reign in England, Ethelred was invited to take his kinship back by the Witten, who were the lords and earls of England. Whilst Ethelred was arriving in England, the common people of the Danelaw cried out for Canute to be crowned as King of the English, as did his father Swain's Viking army. However, according to the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, King Ethelred and the great lords of England would have an emotional reconciliation it states, The Witten declared that no lord were dearer to them than their natural lord, if he would rule them better than he had done before. Ethelred said he would be to them a loving lord, and amend all those things which they all abhorred. He would forgive all that had been done or said to him, on the condition that all with one consent would be obedient to him without deceit and if they established full friendship by word and by pledge. King Ethelred, with the support from the Witten, quickly mustered up a force of loyalists. He brought the full might of England to Lindsay, where he met the Viking forces of Canute. The English would plunder, burn and slay anyone in their reach. Finally, the united army of the English were no longer cowering, and allowing their lands to be taken, but were on the offensive and were finally putting pressure on the Vikings. The assault left Canute's army running back to their longships. Canute barely escaped with his life, and this was a glorious victory for Ethelred, as the Viking conquerors had been vanquished for a time. What happened to Thorkel and the Yom's Vikings after Swain took the throne is unclear, but Thorkel would leave Ethelred's service, and sailed to Denmark and swore allegiance to Canute. Canute knew that Thorkel and the Jomsvikings would be valuable and powerful allies, many of them being the veterans of a hundred battles. He even overlooked the fact that they had fought against him and his father, which conveys that he knew of Thorkel's military prowess. Thorkel and Canute also had history, with Canute learning everything he knew from Thorkel and the band of mercenaries. The Yom's Vikings had brought England to its knees a few years earlier. Combined with the army of Swain's son Canute, they would sail for England. However, England seemed to be a very different land. A warrior prince had emerged, named Edmund Ironside. He was the son of King Ethered the Unready, and was everything a king should have been, strong, bold, and ready to fight and die for his country.
Whilst Ethelred was exiled in Normandy, it became known that Edmund too would go into exile, but in reality, he stayed in England and went into hiding, while trying to gather support from powerful lords operating in the shadows. Edmund managed to gain the support of Morcar and Sigfirth, who did change sides to serve Swain Forkbeard, but Edmund with his charm and iron will, managed to convince these two influential Thens in the East Midlands to join him, and with them came huge numbers for his future army. Edmund and his older brother, the heir Ethelstan, were very close. The brothers shared a love for combat and were very similar. However, in the year 1014, Ethelstan the Etheling would tragically die under mysterious circumstances that have not been recorded by history. On his deathbed, he left Edmund his most prized possession, the legendary sword of King Offa of Mercia. This sword was over 200 years old, and had been passed down from generation to generation. It was the symbol of a warrior king. Edmund was now the heir apparent to the Kingdom of England, but with Prince Canute, the son of Swain Forkbeard, proclaiming the crown of England, Edmund's destiny would hang in the balance. The two powerful Thens, Morcar and Sigfirth, had become very close to Edmund, and they had bled for him. Nevertheless, Lord Eadric, the Elderman of Mercia, was always whispering poison in Ethelred's ear, and Ethelred decided to execute them, due to their past and decision in siding with Swain Forkbeard. Lord Eadric had also just returned to the fold after siding with Swain. This was a real Game of Thrones. Schemes and betrayals and the lust for power were very real. The death sentence of Edmund's two friends caused a rift between father and son. King Ethelred then ordered that Sigfirth's widow Ildgith be seized and taken to a nunnery. Edmund, however, revolted against his father and with his own loyalists, took her and married her in defiance of Ethelred. This marriage had just made Edmund one of the most powerful eldermen in the country, as well as being the prince. His wife's family held considerable power in the East Midlands. After this act of defiance, Morcar and Sigfirth's remaining soldiers pledged their allegiance to Edmund, believing that would have been the wish of their fallen masters. Edmund then received the allegiance of the people of the Five Boroughs. Canute, however, hadn't forgotten about England, and he was on his way back from Denmark at the head of an army, with one goal in mind, taking the English throne. It is said that the battles to come were of an intensity that had not been seen since the days of Alfred the Great. In early September, Canute would arrive in Sandwich, he then sailed around Kent to Wessex, and began his campaign, but in order to win the crown, rivers of blood would need to stain the English soil he wished to rule. King Ethelred would soon become sick, and it was left to Edmund to fight the Vikings and win back England. In September of the year 1015, Canute sailed around Kent to Wessex, until he came on the mouth of the River Frome. Wessex had long been ruled by the dynasty of Alfred and Ethelred. However, the land submitted to Canute. 
Edric Striona would desert Ethelred again, and would join the Viking King. Upon hearing this, Edmund knew he needed more allies, so he went north to meet Uhtred, the Earl of Northumbria, hoping he would join him. Together, they plundered much of Western Mercia, possibly targeting the lands of the treacherous Edric Striona. However, Canute's army swiftly marched to Northumbria, forcing Lord Uhtred to return to submit to Canute. However, on his return home, he and his party of retainers were ambushed and massacred. The great lords of England would soon drop like flies. Eric Hakonson, the Earl of Lade, soon landed on Northumbrian soil from Norway with his own army, and would join Canute. The veteran Norwegian Jarl was put in charge of Northumbria, and Canute now had taken the whole north. King Ethered would die in April of the year 1016, and the Witten declared Canute as the King of England. But London declared Edmund as King, and he was crowned in St Paul's Cathedral. Two kings in one land, who both thought they had the right to rule, would cause nothing but devastation and death. Edmund quickly left London to amass an army. Days later, Canute would besiege it. Canute would chase Edmund south, and many battles and skirmishes were fought. Edmund would quickly become known as Edmund Ironside, on account of his incredible physical and mental strength, and due to the fact that the English and Vikings had not seen a warrior like him in generations. Soon enough, the two kings Canute and Edmund would face each other head on. What Canute faced wasn't the bowing and submission of lords as his father had seen, but grisly, bloody warfare. In the hills of Sherston, on June the 25th, the Danish and English armies would clash. Thorkel the Tall would summon his Joms Vikings from their 40 ships, and would face the enemy in the front line to prove his loyalty to Canute. As the battle raged on, the deaths were piling up. The battle was fierce, and Thorkel and his Joms Vikings would fight with such ferociousness that no man could face them, vanquishing all Englishmen in their path. But Edmund Ironside would also fight amazingly, cutting down many Danish troops and inspiring his men to fight on. Canute would also be in the thick of the fighting and would fight with a trance-like fury. But once the blood rage wore off, the leaders of the armies Canute and Edmund saw the amount of death and bloodshed and eventually called the battle off. Neither side won that day. There would be no celebration that night, for the deaths on both sides were too many to count. Edmund would go south to Wessex to gather more men, and then went to London to retake it from Canute's forces. He would raise the siege of London, which caused Canute's army to flee. According to the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, after Canute fled from London, his army proceeded into Mercia, and destroyed and burnt whatever was in their path, and took whatever food or plunder they wanted. King Edmund would once again round up his army of loyalists, and met Canute's army in Kent. Canute was taken by surprise, and fled at the sight of Edmund to the Isle of Sheppey. Edmund, however, 
slew as many Vikings as he could, giving chase. He had finally got the better of Canute, and had his army on the run. Lord Eadric of Mercia, sensing the tide of the war was turning, betrayed Canute as was his nature, and pledged allegiance to Edmund. King Canute and his forces would bide their time on the Isle of Sheppey until they were ready for one more decisive battle, for this was Canute's only hope of victory. The Vikings sailed to Essex and once again made their way into Mercia and began destroying the land. When Edmund learned that Canute's army had gone north, he assembled all the warriors loyal to him and met Canute's army at Assenden. The English forces were finally the aggressors, after a decade of England being on fire. They were ready to annihilate the Viking force. The English soldiers finally had a warrior king leading them, and he was an inspiration to all. He was also rumoured to be the finest swordsman in the whole country. On the 16th of October in the year 1016, a decisive battle would take place that would decide the fate of all England. The Battle of Assenden would take place in Essex, where Canute would face off once again against Edmund Ironside. During the battle, both the English and Danish armies fought valiantly. Edmund formed his men into three lines, and fought in the front lines to encourage his men, whilst Canute did not fight amongst his ranks. The Battle of Assenden had all the major lords, Eldermen and Jarls fighting. Thorkel the Tall, the lord of the Yom's Vikings, would also fight in the front lines. He would slay Elderman Ulfsaitel himself. The Elderman of East Anglia, that had caused Canute's father's army to flee England years earlier. Edric Striona, the Elderman of Mercia, again betrayed Edmund, and abandoned the battle amidst the height of the carnage, allowing the Vikings to break through the English lines and annihilate Edmund's forces. Edmund would then flee, and Canute and his army would pursue him to Gloucestershire, to the Forest of Dean, where their forces would once again face each other. Edmund's forces by this point were very much depleted, and Canute knew that a battle would more than likely result in his absolute victory. Before the battle, the two kings would ride out and exchange words. Edmund Ironside would emerge from his army. He was a huge muscular man, dressed in the ancient armour of his older brother, with King Offa's legendary sword on display for all men to see. Canute too emerged from his side, and Edmund would challenge Canute to fight him in single combat in front of both of their forces, to spare any more bloodshed. Canute, a man of wisdom, who although had gone through extensive military and strength training himself with the Yom's Vikings, knew his limits, and argued that Edmund's great size and strength would make the duel unfair. Canute and Edmund would talk for a great while, whilst their soldiers stood there, waiting for the order. It was a strange time, for these great leaders and warriors wished each other dead, but respected one another, recognising each other's greatness. Canute and his soldiers had such respect for Edmund as a man and warrior, 
that Canute offered Edmund joint kingship of England. He offered Edmund Wessex and London, while Canute would rule the rest of the country until one of their deaths, in which the survivor would become king of all the land. Edmund Ironside would soon die under mysterious circumstances, either from his wounds in battle or from being assassinated a few weeks after the pact, leaving Canute to rule the whole of England. A sad end for such a noble king, with a restless warrior spirit. The intensity of Edmund's struggle against the Vikings in 1016 is only matched by his ancestor Alfred the Great in the year 871. Edmund was a highly determined, skilled and inspiring leader of men, he was everything his father wasn't, and was able to call the English warriors to fight for him on several occasions, while his father could not. Even the Vikings recognised Edmund's greatness, with his name being reminiscent of a legendary Viking warlord named Bjorn Ironside. This is reinforced by the fact that Canute visited Edmund's tomb on the anniversary of his death, and laid a cloak decorated with peacocks on it to assist his salvation. This conveys Edmund Ironside was a striking, powerful figure, and that even his very memory affected Canute deeply, as even though they were enemies, Canute held him with great esteem, recognising his iron will in life. Canute would never see the like of Edmund again, nor face another rival with his will to fight and ferociousness. Edric Striona would soon grow arrogant and proclaimed that without his desertion, Canute would not have been able to claim the English throne. Canute replied, A man who betrayed one master is likely to do the same to another. Now pay this man what we owe him. While arguing with the king, Edric was decapitated with a battle axe by Eric Hakonson, the Earl of Northumbria who no doubt hated Eadric and wanted him dead due to his constant treachery as many other lords and jarls did. Eadric's head was then placed on a spike on London Bridge and his body was unburied. Canute then divided the ancient kingdoms of England. Wessex he kept for himself. He gave Northumbria to Eric, East Anglia to Thorkel the Tall, who had already taken the land by conquest with the Yom's Vikings years before, and Mercia to Leofric, a Saxon noble from the West Midlands. The amount of betrayal, scheming, chaos and death during this time was unimaginable. Lords turning on kings, men murdering their masters, and the result was uncountable death. The story of the first Viking kings of England is tragic, Swain Forkbeard would take the English crown, becoming the first Viking king of all England, but he would die soon after, just weeks after gaining the throne. King Ethered would then return from exile, and would die shortly after due to old age and illness. The sons of these two kings would then fight for England. This would be a dark time, and was one of the bloodiest ages England has ever seen. The bloody war would allow two princes to emerge as kings, but Edmund would die shortly after the two men had set aside their differences, leaving Canute to rule England alone. 
Canute would become the King of Denmark and Norway later in his life, being the King of Three Countries. He is remembered as Canute the Great for forging the North Sea Empire, and his dynasty would go on to rule England, for they had pushed aside Alfred's house and had forged a new line of kings. However, less than 30 years later, Canute's line would be extinguished, and Edward the Confessor, the son of Ethelred the Unready who had began the Age of Devastation with the St. Brice's Day Massacre, would return to England from exile, and once again, the House of Wessex were kings of England. I hope you all enjoyed the video. If you did, make sure to like, subscribe and share, and I'll see you all soon for another History Profile.